Our Old Testament reading this morning is found in the Psalms, the 19th Psalm, verses 7 to 10. If you want to follow along, it's in the Old Testament on page 499. Listen with me for the word of the Lord. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Here ends our first reading. Our second reading from Holy Scripture is drawn from the Gospel of Mark as we continue our spiritual journey as a congregation through these passages and the sense of immediacy of good news that Mark brings to us. Now Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem, and we'll begin reading at verse 17 as the journey continues. Hear God's word. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Well, he said to him, Teacher, I've kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own. Give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away, grieving. For he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. As his disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And they were astounded and said to one another, Well, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible 
but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age houses, brothers, sisters, mothers and children, fields with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This is the end of our reading from Holy Scripture for this day. May we reflect well upon its challenge to our lives as we seek to trust in God and walk in God's ways. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I want to share with you uh, uh, something about my upbringing. Uh, My parents stretched. They pinched their pennies and saved so they could, for $40,000, purchase a home with a really good school district to account for it. Now, uh, we were in the unincorporated section of town, but this was a real community of privilege. I've got to be honest about that. A gift for my sister and for my brother. For my sister and myself. My brother. You are my brother. Yeah. But uh, the thing I learned about this community soon after I, I moved there was that there was a practice that when you turn 16, and I repeated this to my parents so they would know, when you turn 16, the people would give a car to their children. And um, my parents informed me that I would have to earn a car. Now, this was, you know, really challenging for me because I was a young kid for my grade. I didn't turn 16 till October, so I had all these friends that were already driving. So I went out and I bought a car for $75, all right? It didn't run, but it was mine, a 1958 VW Bug with a sunroof I could pull back so I could put my surfboard in the passenger seat and look real cool even though I was a terrible surfer, all right? And my father and I labored over this thing. We rebuilt the engine. We put Bondo on all the dents. For $49.95, I went and I got a good paint job of metallic blue, and I waxed it up really good. And on my birthday, I was so proud. I drove to school in my brand-new car, I had worked all summer on. I pulled into my parking spot. I got out. I closed the door with that unique tin can sound that came with my vehicle. And just in that moment, there was this bright, red, brand-new, loud Porsche convertible that came riding right into the parking spot next to me. It was a sophomore driving this thing. He said, dude, to me, it was Chuck Norris's son, okay? I was fit to be tied. You know, welcome to the neighborhood. Growing up, uh, 
I taught our kids, you know, in our neighborhoods, there's always going to be someone with more. Sometimes a lot more in our neighborhoods. But also, I taught them, there will always be someone with less. And friends, in this big, wide world of ours, there are many more people with less than all of us who are gathered here today. And frankly, you don't have to look far to find that in Lake County. Now, we're beginning this season of Lent, and I want to think with you today about what we have and what we do not have. There was a man who came running up to Jesus. Good teacher, he said. What must I do? I just want to say this again. What must I do to inherit? Now, stop and think about the context of the countryside where there was not much to inherit. And this man seems like a person who is accustomed to inheriting. All right, then what does he want to inherit? A house, a field, a goat? What must I do? What can I do to inherit, ready, eternal life? Nothing big, just eternal life. Come on now, what will it take? How much will it cost? Name your price, Jesus. Can you just see this guy driving up in his red Porsche to this event? Good teacher, he says. And immediately, here's the first thing that Jesus teaches. Only God is good. Only God is good. The rest of us may be beloved, may be talented, may be growing, learning, loving, but all of us are fragile creatures, mortals, and we all have our flaws. The next thing Jesus teaches is the second side of the Ten Commandments. Now, frankly, in that comment about only God being good, he's treated the first side of the commandments which is to love God because only God is good, to acknowledge that and sing it out, whether it be in English or German or whatever language you want to sing it in. But Jesus starts to list everything that has to do with the love of our neighbors. You shall not murder, which means you will sustain your neighbor's life. You shall not commit adultery. You will honor love by committing to it. You shall not steal. You will make an honest living. You shall not bear false witness. Your words will be blessings, not lies. You shall not defraud. You will cherish what you have and deal honestly with others. Honor your father and mother. Care for those closest to you. Never swindle or neglect them. And then in response, the man says, in effect, but I am good. I have that. I've done that. 
immediately forgetting everything Jesus taught at the very beginning of his word. The man says that he is good, that he's lived out the Ten Commandments. He's ready to reclaim his reward. And who knows? He may indeed have been pretty darn good. But only God is the perfection of good. So Jesus looks at the man, seeing his folly, seeing his flaws, seeing his sin. But instead of castigating this man, he loves him. Jesus looks right to the core of his being, the same way Jesus would look at you or me if he was here today. He'd look at the core of who we are and all our fragility. He looks at us and he loves us. Then Jesus is very clear. Five directive words. Go, sell, give, come, follow. Can we do it? Scripture says the man was shocked, that he went away grieving. He was grieving because we learned for the first time at the end of this exchange, he had many possessions. I should rephrase this. The man's wealth had taken possession of him. You understand what I'm saying? The man's possessions had taken possession of him. And that canceled out all the good things he had been doing his whole life long. The man wanted to add eternal life to a long list of possessions. But the possessions were a big old camel that could not walk through the eye of a needle. His perspective on life on how to acquire life became an impossibility for eternal life. I think this is the challenge of being people of privilege who live in Lake County, Illinois. Do you own your possessions? Or do your possessions own you? You know, throughout the centuries, Christians of privilege have tried to explain away this passage. Some said that if you look at the original Greek, there's a little mistake in the manuscript. Uh, even some of the old scribes changed it, struck out one letter, what would translate as camel, which actually should really have mean rope. Jesus is saying rope. It's hard, but you could cram it through that needle if you really work on it. Some said that maybe uh, instead of a needle, they were talking about a gate in Jerusalem. No. Jesus is clearly saying that our wealth blocks us from God, and you cannot get a camel through a needle. Now, when Mark wrote his Gospels, listen, his Gospel, listeners expected that the kingdom of God was about to begin. So selling everything fit with the idea that Jesus suggested. That in return for giving it all up, 
you would get 100-fold blessings. But as the centuries rolled on, and the original literal notions of the impending kingdom of God shifted, some Christians believed you needed to read this again. Maybe Jesus was encouraging a kind of pious poverty, and many religious orders follow that sentiment today. But over time, the early advice of St. Augustine began to hold sway, and it was affirmed by the major thinkers of the Protestant Reformation. And here's what Augustine said. Riches are gained with toil and kept with fear. They are enjoyed with danger and lost with grief. It is hard to be saved if we have them and impossible if we love them. And scarcely can we have them, but we shall love them inordinately. So he prayed, Teach us, O Lord, this difficult lesson to manage conscientiously the goods we possess. Now, did you catch that critical insight in his prayer? We neither own the possessions nor do they own us. Everything is on loan. None of it is ours. We are given the challenge of custodianship. It all belongs to God. And since historically Presbyterians have been the wealthiest per capita Christians in the United States and thereby the world, Think of it, if we actually tithed 10% of our gross worth, we could dramatically change the world. But Jesus wants more than just a portion. Jesus wants everything given for the well-being of the poor, for those with less than we have. Let go. Let God. This is the core of of faith. Let go. Let God. I wonder, do we behave as if our calendar, our talent, the sweat of our brow, and all our possessions belong to God in the service of the poor? This is the impossibility Jesus sees so many of us are unable to accomplish. But with God, he says, all things are possible. Another picture of Jesus shows him on one occasion in the temple with his disciples. And there's a pious man up front praying and talking with God. And there's a man in the back, a clear sinner, who's bent over saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that's the man who's going to heaven. Why? Because he realizes his only path to eternity rests in the mercy of God, grace. With God, all things are possible. Let go. Let God. Depend on God's mercy and live a meaningful life. Well, the wealthy man just could not let it go. And Jesus does not suggest that this is easy. Peter says, hey, we've left everything for you. 
So Jesus shares this word about how everyone who gives away will receive 100-fold. Now listen to this list. A hundredfold now in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. This is what we receive, ready? The gift of God's family. Brothers, sisters, mothers and children, houses and fields and persecutions. What? Wait a minute. Did you catch that part? Persecutions. Wait. That list was going so well. Persecution. Well, think about it for a minute. Jesus is saying that what we own actually belongs to God. That we can't take it with us. That we can't get to heaven on our merits. That everything is on loan from God. And there are many in this world who will not let it go. Jesus, Mark finishes this passage with Jesus teaching, the last will be first, and the first will be last. Look, they're all getting in, the la- first and the last together. It's just that the first are going to be last. This upsets the apple cart, of course, because our, chal- our calling is challenged, and through the centuries has even been persecuted. There's a, another telling of this story in another gospel where the rich person asks, who is my neighbor? After worship, there is a continuing conversation going on with that subject. Who is my neighbor here in Lake County? Friends, what will we do with the privileges we manage? I told you I wanted to think with you about what we have and what we do not have as our Lenten season begins. And it turns out in the last analysis, we all have nothing. Nothing. Except the mercy of God. Spread that around. I deliver this to you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.